I know that uh, here at Family Life, Pastor Todd and the staff, they were doing they were doing a series called Miracle Moments in the Life of Jesus. And uh, and I, I was doing that, that my, at, my, at our church as well. As a matter of fact, it's the fa- favorite series I've ever done. And if you, if you know, there's 35 supernatural miracles recorded in the life of Jesus in the Gospels. So every four or five years, I just do four or five of them that I hadn't done before. And I just, I just, you know, hey, I'm the pastor. I get to preach what I want, right? You know, and l- l- let's face it, after four years, you don't remember the message anyway, right? So I could do the same four over, but, I'm, but I mix them up. But it says this, I believe these miracle moments, uh, they give us great insights into our lives. And, you know, miracles can just happen spontaneously, but many times miracles come into our life because of where we're at, our hunger level, our faith our desperation, and, and, and but I think these miracle moments, they really give us insight to release miracles in our lives. And John 20, verse 30 through 31 says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but they are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And I, I believe this, that there's a lot of people uh, who will never believe that Jesus is the Savior, that he is Messiah. But if they experience a miracle in their life, it will open their hearts to believe. Do you, I, I believe that. I believe that some people will, will never will never believe without seeing a miracle. I want to give you four quick miracle insights. And the first one is this, is that God is still in the miracle business. That's just the bottom line. In the 17th century, there was uh, an error that came out called deism and deism says that god created the world like a watchmaker creates a watch and then he just lets it go he's not involved anymore but i'm here to tell you that god not only created our world he knows exactly what we need and he not only can intervene he wants to intervene in our lives we have a god that speaks with us the bible the bible hundreds of times it says and god said and god spoke and he desires to do that um, number two is if you have a need you're a candidate for a miracle. So let me ask you a question this morning. How many in here you have a situation in your life that you don't have the power to control? Can I see your hands? There's hands going up all over the place. And if you if you have a need, you're a candidate for God's power to release a miracle in your life. Number three is that God cares about the big things and God cares about the little things in your life. If you, if you read the miracle stories, sometimes it was as simple as turning water into wine at a wedding festival. Other times it was healing somebody who had leprosy, healing the blind, raising the dead. It could be very, very little or very, or very big. But here's the thing. There's no, there's no miracle that's too big for God to do. And there's no miracle that's too small for God to do. Sometimes we have needs in our lives and, and we, we feel like we don't want to bother God with that. And that's the great thing about having a Savior is if it's important to you, it's important to Him. Number four is this, is that in every miracle that Jesus performed, there was an action or a component that had to be, had to be completed. And, and so in every miracle that Jesus ever did, somebody did something. And so my question to you today is, as I'm speaking, is what do you need to do to release that miracle? I mean, think about it. When Jesus turned water into wine, uh, he had the servants go fill ceremonial jars with water, about 180 gallons of water. 
You know, if you're the one dropping the bucket and bringing it up, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of work. But he had to do that. God, Jesus could have just filled the, the ceremonial jars with water and turned it into wine, but he didn't do that. Someone did something. Uh, when the paralytics, when the paralytic man was, was brought to Jesus, it says the friends carried him. They carried him to Jesus because he couldn't go on his own. Then they climbed up on the roof, cut a hole in the roof, and lowered him right in front of Jesus. And so think about this. Sometimes, sometimes the component with your name on it, it's very, very simple. Like forgiving somebody, coming up for prayer after service. I mean, sometimes it's very small. Sometimes, sometimes it's very big. I was thinking this week, a number of years ago, I went to the Ukraine with my brother. And he's been doing ministry work in Ukraine for a number of years. So he taught me into going, and I went. And uh, I don't want you to think I'm weird or anything, but I'm a little bit, a little bit of a germaphobe, just a little bit. I mean, I don't mind shaking your hand or anything like that, but, you know, some things just freak me out a little bit. And so uh, we're praying for people, and these, this lady walks down, and her face is disfigured. I don't know if it's leprosy. I don't know what she has on her face. And she's like, you know, God told me if you would place your hands on my face and pray, I would be healed. And so I thought about it for a minute, and I acted like I couldn't understand her, and they had an interpreter there. And so I'm like, hey, my brother got me in this. I walk over there, and I said, hey, Tim, come over here. This lady wants you to pray for her. And so I bring my brother over there, and he stands in front of this lady, you know. And the lady's like, no, no, he's no good. I said, that's what I thought. Get on out of here, Tim. Get on out of here. And, you know, I wanted her to be healed. I just didn't want to put my hands on her. And so I thought about it for a minute. A man of great faith. I'm like, hey, listen, I have all kind of antibacterial stuff in my bag right there on the ground. I'll just pray and I'll go wipe, you know. Anyway, I laid my hands on her and prayed for her. Nothing happened overnight. But, you know, we they went back there a few months later. And this lady, she was not in the local church. She drove for miles and miles to come tell them she thought I was going to be there, her leprosy, her, her skin disease was totally gone. And, and so the thing is, here's what's really interesting, is the component that God used was, was me. I had to get over myself. I had to get over whether I felt like doing something or not. And so when we obey God, we release miracles in our life. And what I want to do real quick is, before before I talk about the miracle today, uh, we we have we've had a number of incredible miracles in our church the last two years, cancer being healed, all kind of things. And I want to play a, a short video that you can see of of a tremendous miracle that happened in our church of, of just a few months ago. Hi, I'm Nancy Jackson, and I'm here to tell you what God miraculously has done for me. In 2015, I was diagnosed with stage four neuroendocrine cancer. And they told me that there was no cure, that all they could do was give me chemo treatment to control the symptoms that the tumors were producing in my body. And last fall, I had gotten to the point where the chemo was not working anymore and the symptoms were not being controlled. My blood pressure had dropped to 57 over 45. I was passing out all the time. And I was at a point where I was ready to get with Pastor Terry and just make my final arrangements. But I had had some insurance problems where they were not approving my treatments any longer. So I started doing some research 
And I found at MD Anderson, they had a new drug that was supposed to be more effective for the kind of cancer that I had. So I was all lined up for that and I just kept feeling worse and worse. So I went up for prayer on one Sunday and I asked Pastor Terry to pray for me for either being a candidate for this drug or God just heal me. I said, whatever his will is, that's what I want. And Pastor Terry prayed for me for God to heal me from my head to my toe. And as he said it, I literally felt God touching me from my head to my toe and the symptoms were just leaving my body. And I had not had my first visit with MD Anderson. So when I went, I, I just knew that they were not gonna find anything. So they ran all these tests to see if I was a candidate for this new drug. And by January, they said, look, we've had four conferences going over all your records. We could see where the cancer was. It was in your liver, in your kidney, in your lung, and in your adrenal gland. And now all there is is scar tissue. There's nothing there. It's gone. So I praise God. I just had my six-month checkup, and I'm still clear. And they don't want to see me for another year. And I know in another year, I'm going to have the same report. And I praise God for it. Thank you for listening to me. And if you need anything, God is there for you because His timing is perfect and all things work together for His good. All you have to do is have faith and call on Him. So we're going to look at uh, the miracle of multiplication this morning. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 through 21. And it says, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, Hey, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. But we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. They answered, bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. And so what an incredible miracle. Wouldn't it, did you ever think of what it would have been like to be there on that day uh, that Jesus did these particular miracles? It, it's just incredible. We we uh, this incredible miracle he has, and of course the disciples, the disciples are struggling in their faith. They're wanting to send people away, and Jesus begins to to bless the food and and multiply the food, and and of course there's twelve basketfuls left over. You know why? Uh, you don't need to be a theologian to know why there was twelve, right? Give each one to one of the disciples. You kept doubting. You kept doubting. Hey, just carry this food around for a while. Carry this basket of food around for a while. So here we have that Jesus is trying to escape uh, to a quiet place. And what had happened is Herod had just beheaded John the Baptist. And so Jesus wanted to pull back from the spotlight. He wanted to get away to a quiet, solitary place. And, uh, you know, just 
just get get away from people, but uh, news of him was spreading like wildfire, <clears throat> and so the, the 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 people see him coming. So, th- so this solitary, remote place it turns into a frenzy of activity as you know, literally thousands of people are following him. <clears throat> and of course, the story tells us there were five thousand men, but we know that if uh, the, the men were married, which they would have been, and, ha- and had children, it could easily have been. 15 to 20,000 people that Jesus multiplied uh, food for. And I was thinking about this story, and have you ever been so excited that you did something spontaneously? Let me, let me see the hands of all the spontaneous people. You're so excited about something, you do something spontaneously. And now we, if you have a personality, all the melancholy, it's like, oh, no, I would never go without packing a bag and you know filling up with gas and all this. But what we see here is that you know, people are so excited about Jesus that they see him coming. They've been hearing of all the great, incredible things, all the miracles, all the stories, and they're so excited that when they see him, they're not worried about going home and getting food and getting supplies they need. They just go and, and they to spend time with Jesus, to, to sit with Jesus, and they stay all afternoon, and they're captivated. They're captivated by his presence, and they don't seem to care about what they don't have. And I think it's really interesting. There's, I think one of the things that, that releases miracles is hunger. That's why when, when I go overseas, every, it doesn't matter if I'm in Nepal, India, Ukraine, Africa, Honduras, everywhere I've been, where they don't have the medical facilities that we have, people come and they are desperate for God to touch their lives. And these people are desperate. Man, they're not worried about eating lunch. They're not worried about watching the NFL. They're not worried about select sports. They're like, they know that the only way they're going to get better is if they meet Jesus. And, and, and so, I mean, think about this. Sometimes I'm speaking at, at my church. I'm not talking about you, my church. And, uh, and, and I see people looking at their watch or whatever. And, and I'm like, man, you got, you got something better. I'm selling Jesus here. I'm selling Jesus. Yeah, I mean, you already came in late and you're, you're fixing, you know, I'm selling Jesus here. And so, I mean, think about this. Think about this. Uh, it's just, it's just in, incredible. Whenever I was, whenever we were younger, we had three young kids and I hated more than anything in the world. I hated traveling. You know, we didn't have that much money and we had a small car and we would go to, on a, to go for a trip and Tracy's just bringing stuff out. She's just bringing stuff out. I mean, diaper bags and clothes and baby beds and swings and rockers and food. And I'm like, dear Jesus, we don't need all this. Let's just trust Jesus. She said, yeah, it's all going. I said, okay, it's all going. I said, it can't fit in the car. And she said, if you can't pack it, I can. And I, I knew that she could. That wasn't the point. The point is I didn't want to take all this stuff. I just said, it's the worst thing in the world. And then you get there, you're going to visit family or something. You hope it goes well because you want to stay a few days, you know. You don't want to pack it all, you know, and go back, uh, you know, the, the, ne- the next week. But it's just... Anyway, I used to give Tracy such a hard time. I was like, Jesus, do we need, I, Jesus said we don't need all this, Tracy. He said, well, he told me different. You know, he told me different. When we were very young, uh, when we were, you know, we, we had these young kids and we had some friends and we would, we would take turns going over to each other's house and, you know, our kids were the same age and, you know, when we went to each other's house, we'd stay there for three or four hours or whatever. And so I started noticing, you know, when they come over to our house, they don't bring a diaper bag or anything. Like they don't bring anything. And 
and they just go into you know our kids' rooms and change diapers and use rash cream and powder and all this. And like we don't have much money, you know. So I'm like, I'm like, man, that's the fourth diaper they've used already. And it's a fourth diaper, and I was like, man, you know. And, and so, but when we would go to their house, Tracy would be packing a diaper bag. I said, put the diaper bag away. We got six diapers on credit. She's like, oh, I'm not going to do that to them. I'm like, you don't have to do anything. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to. So basically what we know from this story is that the men were in charge of the trip because they get there with nothing. They get there with no supplies. And you know what? They don't care. They don't care. They're like telling their wives. You know, the wives weren't happy about it. Just sell down. Jesus is going to take care of everything. Jesus is going to take care. He's going to take care of everything for it. So there's, there's three insights I want you to get from this story today. The first thing is this, the crowd realized that only Jesus could fill their deepest need. I mean, these, these people, they had tried everything. They tried natural remedies. They tried doctors. They tried whatever they could, and they were still sick. They were still hurting. They were still depressed. They were still discouraged. And they had heard all of these stories about Jesus, and they're like, man, if it's true, if it's true, we've got to get out there and we, we have to, we have to, uh, sit with Jesus. We have to hear from Jesus. And the story tells us, uh, later in verse 14 that Jesus delivered. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. He healed every, healed every one of them. But you know what I've noticed? Think about all the needs in this room. I mean, 80% of you raised your hand that you have a need. 80% of you said, I have something in my life that I don't have the ability to change. I don't have the ability to control. And I need God to come into my life and, and intervene. Think about all the needs in this room. Uh, and think about how we we try to solve things on our own. If, if you're battling discouragement or depression, it usually goes something like this. The thought is is something like this. If my life can just get on track, if I could get a better job, if if I could, you know, make some better friends, if I could make more money, if I could find a church that ministered to my needs better, if I could just find the right person to marry, then the depression would go away. You know what I think? I think Jesus is a better solution. I think Jesus is a better solution uh, because uh, he is the only one that can bring, bring peace and joy in spite of our circumstances. See, in the natural realm, we think if we can control things, if we can manipulate things, if things are just right, then we'll be happy. I know people who have some of everything and they're not happy. They're still discouraged. They're still depressed. I think Jesus is better. If you're facing a relational crisis, the thought goes something like this. Man, if my wife and I could just go to counseling, if my spouse would just change a few things, everything would be different. And I've met with so many couples over the last 20 years. And when, when a spouse comes, when two, when a couple comes to my office, they both, they both have an idea about what can make their marriage better. And they both think they know, they, they know best. But think, think about this. I think Jesus is a better solution because he can change you from the inside out, so your life isn't dependent upon someone else changing. I mean, if your life is dependent upon someone else changing, that's a long, that's a long road to hope. If it's dependent upon, hey, God changed me. Jesus changed me. 
change my attitude, change you from the inside out. If God changes you, everything else looks better. Have you heard about that? I was actually, I had a pastor friend of mine, this guy kept coming in complaining about his job. And so the pastor just said, would you bow your head with me? He said, God, I just pray that he would get fired this week. And the guy's like, what are you doing? He said, man, you've been coming here complaining about your job for six months. I'm tired. I'm tired of hearing you complain about that. He's like, you know, actually, my job's okay. My job is okay, you know. The realization inside, hey, you know, I mean, I like my job, but I like eating, you know. I, you know, it changes from the, from the inside out. If you're battling a health issue, the thought goes something like this. I just need to, to find the right doctor. I just need the right medication and things will improve. Again, I think Jesus is a better solution because he can bring immediate healing into your body. So when you come to the place that you realize that, the, that Jesus is the solution and you'll do everything possible to spend time with Jesus. And that's what created our story today. The people realized that they couldn't help themselves. They couldn't change themselves. But they realized, they saw that, man, Jesus is coming. And we've heard. We, we, I don't even know if it's true, but we have heard. We have heard that Jesus can do things. And Jesus Jesus delivered and changed, just changed their situations and their lives. So the, the second principle is this, is we have to start being thankful for what we have. We have to start being thankful. I mean, I talk to, I talk to Americans and I hear people complain. I'm like, what world are you living in? And I tell them, have you ever left the country? Have you ever left the state? And I, I mean, think about it. I, there is no perfect country, but man, when I go places, I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to get home because I know, I know, uh, you know, well, what's at home, but the spirit of thankfulness just releases miracles. Look in verse 19, what Jesus does. He, he takes the five loaves and the two fish and he looks up to heaven and he gives thanks and he began to, to, to break the loaves and pass them out. Now, the disciples wanted to, wanted to send, G, send people away to get food and Jesus told the disciples to feed them. The disciples are all worked up because they don't have enough. They don't have enough to feed, uh, to feed the people. Jesus but he gave thanks for what they did have. See, we're, we're, we, we can be, become so focused on what we don't have or what we want to have in the future that we're not thankful for what we have today. And, and when we're thankful for what we have, I, I really believe it releases God uh, to begin to multiply things. So, so he, Jesus thanked. I mean, the disciples were like, hey, yeah, we have this, but what good is this? They even say it would take six months wages for these people to get a bite of food. And Jesus said, thank you for giving me this. He prayed, he was thankful, and it began to multiply. Multiplication is one of the most fascinating miracles uh, that I think in the Bible. When God takes what we have that's not enough, and he makes it enough. It takes less faith to pray for God to give you more than it does to pray God make what I have enough. See, we always think the solution is more. 
It's always more. I just need to make more money, but you're not managing what you have well. I just need more of this or more love or more patience. But sometimes the greatest miracle is when you don't ask God for more, but you say, just make what I have enough. Just make it last. Just, just make it, make it, you know, uh, increase in, in, um, in value and just really, uh, help it, help it to, to meet, to meet the needs of, of our family, of our church, whatever. The third principle is this, is that multiplication requires us to give God what we have. And, and so think about this, this little boy, only one boy out of all these people offered anything up to the disciples. You think anyone else had a, had a little lunch there? Only one person came and offered and offered food and Here's what I want you to think about. God never asks us to give him what we don't have. I have so many people tell me, oh, oh, one day, pastor, if I can, I'm going to write a large check. Well, write one for 10 bucks. You know, we, that's a grandiose plan. When I have a lot, I'm going to give a lot. No, that, that, that's a lie. We, we got to give God what we have. What we have, what, what do we have? And um, here's the thing. God never, the reason, God doesn't ask you to give what you don't have, but he does say, hey, what you do have, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me and just trust me with what you have. And I think so many times we don't give God our best. We don't give God what we have because we really lack the faith that, okay, we already don't have enough. So if I give the little I have, then I'm going to not even have enough anyway. If you think about it, if you already don't have enough, we ought to be running to give what we have to God. I mean, we ought to be, we ought to be so excited. Oh, this is not enough, but God can multiply things. Let, let's give it, let's give it to Him. I'm going to, I'm going to tell the story from John 6 for a minute. This is one of the miracles that's in every one of the gospels. And John 6 adds some different details. John 6 says this, that a young boy, with five small barley loaves and two small fish came and gave them to the disciples. Look at the adjectives there. You know, small, small. You know, now, how come when we, we got any fishermen there? I never met a fisherman who caught a small fish. You know, they'll take a little, a little, a little thing like this and they'll get real close and blow it up, right? And these, the disciples are saying, no, Jesus, it's bad. Jesus, really bad. We have five small, like, they're small loaves and we have five or two small fish, like, they're insignificant. They're, they're, so what, what does this say? It says young, a young boy came. Young means like, he doesn't know any better. He's just offering this. What does that mean? And they're small, which means it's not enough. It was, it was, the, you know, John describes it says, yeah, so what? This boy is generous. He gives his lunch, but what is it? It's not going to make a difference anyway because, you know, it's a lunch for a, a 10 year old boy. We got 15, 20,000 people here. So the disciples view the boy's gift as invaluable, but Jesus views it as something to work with. You don't have enough. Give what you have to God and let him multiply that. Let him do his work on that. So for, the, for a miracle of multiplication to take place in our lives, we have to change our perspective and we have to quit looking at life through the lens of fear and we have to start looking at faith. Fear says, I don't have enough, so if I get the little bit I have, I'm being worse shape. 
Faith says, I don't have enough, but I have a big God. And I just believe God's going to come through and multiply this thing or change the situation and, and, and just, just, just move on. Let me tell you a couple stories about this. Here's, here's what I believe though. Once you see God as the multiplier, you will never again withhold what you have from him. Once you, once you see that happening. So I'll tell you a funny story about my dad. A number of years ago, uh, his youth pastor told me this story. He, he didn't tell me these stories. His youth pastor did. So my dad started a church and all these miracles were taking place. People were getting healed, all kind of incredible things. So, so this lady calls my dad and she says, Hey, Jim, uh, my husband's going to not die. He's not going to make the night, but I believe if y'all will come pray for him, uh, I just believe that God will heal him. And so my dad's all excited and he loads up the car and he goes and he gets his youth pastor, Bobby Hill, and they're, they're on the way down there. Well, Bobby's looking over at his gas gauge. Now they're, they got to drive an hour. Bobby's looking at his gas gauge and it's like pegged out at zero, at empty, you know? So Bobby asked dad, Hey, Jim, does that gas gauge work? He said, Oh yeah, it works great. He said, well, man, we don't have enough gas. And, uh, and my dad says, don't worry about it. We got to go. God's going to do a miracle today. We just, we don't have time to stop and get gas. He said, Jim, look, we're an hour away. He finally said, Bobby, find me something to cover the gas gauge because obviously you lack faith. He put that thing over there. He, he did that. They drove an hour, had a prayer meeting. The guy didn't die. He lived for many years to come. Lord raised him up from the deathbed. They get back in the car and, and my dad's like, that's what I'm talking about right there, Bobby. You just got to have faith. And, Bobby says, hey, that's great, Jim. Can we please stop at the corner store and get gas on the way back? I'm buying. I'm buying. Can't, let's not push this thing anymore. Well, my, my point is this, is that when they needed, God multiplied. I'll, I'll tell you a story about our church. And I think some of the biggest breakthroughs you get in life and in ministry is when you get to a place where you don't have enough, but you have to trust God. Like you have to. You have to. And uh, so a number of years ago, 1850, yeah, about it, probably 17, 18 years ago, we were trying to save up money to buy land. And in Sugarland, land is very, very expensive. And so we're saving up money. We're saving up, I think we have about $30,000 saved, which really isn't that much money around Sugarland. And some of you may know Brother Adon Villanueva. Do you know anyone? That, well, he, so he came with speaking at our church. And he's like, I just, he's like, I just have to tell you about a vision God has given me. He said, God has given me a vision to, to buy three pieces of land on the island of Roatan and build three churches. And he said, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but the vision, it's going to cost $20,000 to do it. And now I'm sitting right there on the front row and the Holy Spirit just said, hey. You didn't know the Holy Spirit talked like that. Huh? It wasn't Greek or Hebrew. It was like, hey, it's English. Hey. You don't have enough for your dream, but you have enough for his. And, you know, I did what some of you did. I don't hear you. And I'm like, I didn't hear anything else he said. I'm like, Lord, my board is going to think I have lost my mind when I tell them, hey, we got to take $20,000 and do this. And, you know, you know, again, you give 20 away, you have 30. Now you have 10. You're in worse shape than you did before. And, you know, the Lord just dealt with me the whole, the whole time he was speaking and said, look, y'all give a lot to missions and I'm going to bless you anyway. But if you will trust me in this, 
I'm going to open the floodgates for you. And so I did that. I did that. We wrote him a $20,000 check, and, and so we built three churches in Island Ro- Rotan. So now we have less money, two-thirds less money, and so we're looking for land. I'm driving down the road, and uh, these, these good guys, these Christian guys are helping me. I said, hey, what about that land over there? They're like, Terry, you can't afford that land. Yeah, I got I got mad. Don't tell me what I can afford. Have you seen my? I didn't tell them we only had ten thousand dollars. You know, like I'm like, does your church believe in miracles anyway? You know, I started scolding them. I said I didn't ask you if I could afford. I asked you to find out about the land. And so this guy calls me back three hours later. He said, Terry, you're not going to believe this. He said that land cost eight hundred thousand dollars. And I'm sitting there, it's like. <laughs> But the lady wants to sell it to a church and she knocked $400,000 off. And she wants to meet with you. And I'm like, I got to go meet this lady. I don't have $400,000. And so I met with the lady and she was really nice. She's gone to be with Jesus. And she said, hey, um, I said, ma'am, listen, Miss Mary, Mary Buring, listen, I really appreciate this. It's like, listen, we're, we've just been going for three years. We can't even get a loan. I said, would you own or finance it for us so we could pay it off? She said, I would love to. I would love to. She said, you go talk to your people and you tell me what you can afford. I mean, that you can't make up those numbers. And I'm telling you, God does not show favoritism. What he does for me, he'll do for you. What he did for our church, he'll do for any other ministry. But you have to begin to release what's in your hand to God if you want him to multiply what you have. That's how multiplication works. God only multiplies what you give him. Okay? And so think about this. Think about the miracle of multiplication in our lives. You know, you you have a broken relationship and you're, you're praying for a miracle. You're praying for something to change. You're praying for outside intervention. The miracle of multiplication says this, is that, even if you don't feel love for your spouse, God can multiply the love you have for them. Even if you don't feel like forgiving, God can take the little bit of forgiveness that's left in you and he can multiply it so you can forgive them and move on. If you say, I don't even feel like staying married, God can take the little bit of determination you have and he can multiply it until where you're passionate about staying married and working working on, on on your relationship. You know, if... If, if you have a financial crisis, and again, this is not a surprise, but you know the first thing Christians do when they have a financial crisis? They quit tithing. They quit giving. They quit giving God what they have, and so God can't multiply what they need. And I'm telling you, we, we ought to, and it's not just, in America today, only 12% of born-again Christians give. Only 12%. 88% are not having their, their, their finances multiplied because they're not giving God Something to work with. But think about this. Maybe you're in a spiritual crisis. And you say, man, Terry, if I'm honest, you know, I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like going to a small group. Hey, listen, if you have just a little bit of spiritual passion left, God can take that and he can multiply it. And he can restore your passion. He can restore your hunger and your drive. And you say, I don't even think I have that. Well, come on up to a little bit. We're going to pray for you to get some. But God can multiply what you have. You don't necessarily need more. You just need God to, to multiply uh, what's, what you have. So 
In just a minute, we're going to pray for those who would like for God to multiply what they have. I want to read, I want to read one more verse. And, uh, this verse is in the amplified version. I love how it reads in Matthew chapter seven, verse seven through eight. It says this. It says, ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who keeps on asking receives. And he who keeps on seeking finds. And to him who keeps on knocking, it will be open to him. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? And just with, if you would just be honest just with God this morning, just with me. And I want to ask you a simple question. Is there something in your life today that the Holy Spirit has asked you or, or shed light on you that really it needs to be multiplied? Maybe it's finances, maybe it's relational, maybe it's physical, maybe it's spiritual. But if you have something today, you said, Terry, there's at least one area of my life where I, I desperately need God to multiply what I have. Would you just raise your hands with me this morning? Just signifying to God. God, I need you to multiply something in my life. Now, what I want, what I want to do is there's, I remember there's a component with your name on it to release miracles. And I think that today is just coming up here, just acknowledging God, I need you to multiply this in my life today. So if you raise your hands, I would just like for you to get up and just, just walk on up here. We're just going to believe, we're going to pray for God to release the spirit of multiplication in your lives and if we could also get the prayer team to come up here in the front and, and uh, if you need prayer for a, a physical miracle or something else, we're happy to pray for that. But I want to do the multiplication first. If the worship team would come up this morning. Oh, this is exciting. Look, look how many people here just say, God, I need you to multiply something in my life. There's something that I'm lacking. And I just believe, God, first of all, that only you can do it. Number two, I'm going to be grateful for what I have. Number three, I'm going to give you what I have. The boy gave the, the loaves and the fish, and I'm going to give you what I have and just, just ask you to multiply it. God, right now, in the name of Jesus, would you just raise your hands with me? God, I pray for the spirit of multiplication. I pray for the miracle of multiplication to be released to these men and women today. God, I bind the spirit of lack. I bind the spirit of poverty, God. I bind it in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And I just pray, God, you're releasing as we give you the little we have, God. You are making it enough. You are multiplying it in Jesus' name. God, I just pray for the spirit of multiplication to take root in our lives in Jesus' name. Let's just begin to thank him, church. Let's just begin to thank him as we begin to worship. Let's just worship the Lord and just be grateful for what we have and just pray for multiplication to take place. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if the worship team is up here, if you, if you need uh, continued prayer, they're going to come around and pray for you this morning.